Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. I live in Southern California, Los Angeles. This is Baja Norte. If you do not speak Spanish in Los Angeles, you're missing out on a whole lot. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reed's listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, y'all. I wanted to let you know that this is the final episode of season one of LeVar Burton Reads. It has been an amazing journey for me going on this journey with you, getting to see your responses to the stories, hearing from you about the great authors and the books that you've picked up after listening to the show, and just connecting with all of you about reading has really made my heart glad. We are hard at work on season two of the show, and we'll be dropping some author interviews in the Stitcher Premium feed in the coming months. So check out stitcherpremium.com slash LeVar for that. So I want you to keep reading, and please keep sending us your suggestions for authors, and our next season will be here before you know it. So without further ado, here's No Man's Guns. I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. It's where I handpick a different piece of short fiction every episode and read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. Today's story is by the amazing Elmore Leonard. Now, there are a ton of Elmore Leonard books and stories that have been turned into movies and TV shows. There's Get Shorty, Justified, 310 to Yuma. My personal favorite, the movie Jackie Brown, starring the delicious Pam Greer, which was adapted from the book Rum Punch. And today's story is actually a throwback to his days writing westerns. This story was originally published in 1955, and then it was collected in the complete Western stories of Elmore Leonard from William Morrow. There are a lot of classic Western action-packed motifs in this story, but really at the end of the day, I think it's more of a psychological tale and a kind of creepy story about strangers. It's also a story about justice and the mercurial nature of justice as it is meted out in the Old West. And I think that's all I'm going to give you for now. So let's get ready to go back to the American West. Let's take a deep breath. (sighs) 
Oh, yeah. Or should I say, yeehaw. No Man's Guns by Elmore Leonard. As he drew near the mass of tree shadows that edged out to the road, he heard the voice, the clear but hesitant sound of it coming unexpectedly in the almost dark stillness. Cliff? His right knee touched the booted Springfield, and he thought of it calmly, instinctively, drawing it left-handed in his mind as he slowed the sorrel to a walk. Now at the edge of the shadows, he saw a man with a rifle, The man called, uncertainly. Cliff, you got the wrong party, he answered, and neck reined the sorrel toward the trees. Less than 20 feet away, the rifle came up suddenly. Who are you? My name's Mitchell. The rifle barrel hung hesitantly. You better light down. Astride the McClellan saddle, Dave Mitchell didn't move. He sat with his shoulders pulled back, yet he was relaxed. Narrow hips, sun-darkened, thin-lined features beneath the slightly turned-up forward brim of a faded Stetson, and everything about him said cavalry. Everything but the rough wool-gray suit he wore. His coat was unbuttoned, and his dark shirt was unmistakably army issue. You're camped back in there? Mitchell asked. And he was thinking, watching the man studying him, I'm the wrong man, and now he doesn't know what to do. The man with the rifle didn't reply, and Mitchell said, I'm ready to camp the night. If you already got a place, maybe I could join you. For a moment, the man didn't answer. Then the rifle, a long-barreled Remington, waved in a short arc. Light down. Mitchell let his right rein fall as he came off the sorrel. The rifle waved again. The man stood aside and Mitchell walked past him, leading the sorrel. They moved through the trees, thinly scattered aspen, then cottonwood as the ground began to slope gradually and Mitchell knew there'd be a creek close by. Unexpectedly, then, he saw the broad clearing and a wagon illuminated by firelight. The ribbed canvas covering of it formed a pale background for the two figures who stood watching him approach. A man, his legs slightly apart and his hand covering the butt of a holstered revolver, a woman was next to him and she watched Mitchell with open curiosity as he entered the clearing. Rady's brought us a guest, the woman said. The man with the rifle was next to Mitchell now. Hyatt, he says he wants to camp. The woman walked to the fire, but Hyatt, his hand still on the revolver, didn't move. Nor did he answer, and his eyes remained on Mitchell. He said he was ready to camp the night, Rady added. So I thought... Open your coat, Hyatt said. Hold it open. Slowly, Mitchell spread the coat open. I'm not armed. He's got a carbine on the horse, Rady said. 
Hyatt glanced at him. Go back where you were. Mitchell dropped the rein and walked toward the low-burning fire as the woman extended a porcelain cup toward him and said, Coffee? Behind him, he heard Rady's footsteps in the dry leaves, then fading to nothing, and he felt Hyatt watching him as he took the cup of coffee, his hand momentarily touching the woman's. You drink your coffee, then move off, Hyatt said. He was in his early thirties, but a week-old beard stubble darkened his face, adding ten years to his appearance. His face was drawn into tight, sunken cheeks, and he looked as if he'd never smiled in his life. To the woman, he said, I'll tell you when we start giving coffee to everybody who goes by. Mitchell hesitated, letting the sudden tension inside him subside, and he thought, Don't let him rob you. Don't even tell him to go to hell. He said to Hyatt, I'll leave in a minute. You'll leave sooner, if I say so. Maybe you ought to tell him at that, Mitchell thought, just to see what he'd do. But he heard the woman say, Hi, don't talk like that. And he turned to the fire again. You shut your mouth, Hyatt told her. Mitchell sipped his coffee, his eyes on the woman. Her face was lit by the firelight, and it shone warmly and cleanly. He watched her glance at Hyatt, but not answer him. And he said to her mildly, I don't want to start a family argument. We'll ignore him then, the woman said. She smiled, and the smile was faintly in her eyes. She'd impressed Mitchell as a woman who smiled little, and the soft radiance that came briefly into her eyes surprised him. Still, she fell into a type in Mitchell's mind, small, frail-looking, a woman who picked at her food yet was strong and you wondered what kept her going. Light hair, thin, delicately formed features, and dark shadows beneath the eyes. A serious kind. A woman who loved strongly and simply. A woman who spoke little. This Mitchell believed was the most interesting type of all, the most feminine, even while sometimes reminding you of a little boy, at least the most appealing, perhaps the kind to marry. She said, Could I ask where you're going? Home, Mitchell answered. No, she didn't exactly fit the type. She talked too freely. Where is that? Banderas? I just left Wibble Barracks yesterday. Discharged. I thought so, the woman said. Just the way you stand. I suppose some of it's bound to rub off after 12 years. You don't look that old. <laughs> Older than you. I'm almost 31. Were you an officer? No, ma'am. Sergeant. You're going home to your folks. Yes, ma'am. My dad has a place near Banderas. They'll be glad to see you. Mitchell half turned as Hyatt said, How do we know you're from Whipple? I just told you I was. What proof you got? I don't have to show you anything. Hyatt's hand hung close to his holster. You don't think so, huh? Look, Mitchell said, Why don't you quit standing on your nerves? 
Let's see your proof, Hyatt said. Mitchell glanced at the woman. You ought to keep him locked up. The woman half smiled. Do you have discharge papers? Mitchell's hand slipped into his open coat and patted his shirt pocket. Right here. Why don't you show him? The woman said. So we'll have a little peace. Mitchell shook his head. It's a matter of principle now. A matter of principle. And a matter of 12 years, someone telling you what to do. You can take it when you're being paid to take it. But this one isn't paying, Mitchell thought. Take that handgun off him and bend it over his head? No, just get out. You don't have any business here. The woman said, Men are always talking about principle or honor. Well, I'm through talking about it tonight, Mitchell said. He handed the empty cup to her. Much obliged. I'm moving on now. She looked at him but said nothing. He saw her eyes shift suddenly. Behind you. It snapped in his mind, and he heard the movement, and he wheeled, bringing up his arms, throwing himself low at Hyatt, who was almost on top of him. His shoulder slammed into Hyatt's knees, and he drove forward as the pistol barrel came down against his spine. His arms clamped Hyatt's legs, and he came up suddenly, his boots digging into the sand, throwing Hyatt's legs over his shoulder. Hyatt landed on his back, rolling over almost as he struck the ground frantically reaching for the revolver knocked from his hand, almost touching it as Mitchell dropped on top of him. They rolled in the sand, Hyatt's fingers tearing through Mitchell's shirt, clawing at his throat. Mitchell's hand found the revolver. He threw it, spinning across the sand, and his fist came back to slam against Hyatt's face. He pushed himself free, rolling, rising to his feet, and as Hyatt came up, he swung hard against his jaw. Hyatt staggered. He started to go down, and Mitchell hit him again, holding him momentarily with his left hand as his right clubbed into the upturned face. Hyatt's head snapped back, and he went down. Mitchell turned to the woman. He was breathing heavily, and his left hand was pressed to the small of his back. Are you married to him? He asked. She shook her head. Not really. Mitchell hesitated. If he turned away, he'd never see this woman again. Something made him ask. Do you love him? She looked at him, her face softly impassive in the firelight. You'd better move along, she said quietly. For a moment, Mitchell's eyes remained on her, as if he were reluctant to leave. He turned to the sorrel, then hesitated again and walked over to Hyatt. Mister, you brought this on yourself. Your man out there thought I was somebody named Cliff, and he brought me in because he was too scared to do anything else. I don't care who you are. I don't care who Cliff is. Mitchell broke off. If you want to know the truth, I think you're crazy. He glanced momentarily at the woman before telling Hyatt, Maybe you got some good points, but if you do, you keep them a secret. Hyatt's head came up slowly. He watched Mitchell go to his sorrel and mount. He watched him silently. 
his hand covering a folded piece of paper on the ground beneath him. A square of paper folded four times just to fit into a shirt pocket. Mitchell urged the sorrel into the trees, letting it have its head, but holding it enough to reach the road farther down from where Rady would be. The woman stayed in his mind, standing in the firelight, her eyes meeting his and not lowering, even when he continued to stare at her. Some woman. enough to do already? I do. That's why I use Ship Same Day Delivery to keep up with my busy life. They know the snacks I like down to the extra creamy in my peanut butter. I can get deliveries at home, on set, or even when I'm away on vacay. And my personal shopper, Amber, she's got my back. As in, she asks them to check the back if it's not on the shelf. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. His body came alive as the shot sounded behind him and his hand went instinctively to the booted carbine. He turned in the saddle, drawing the Springfield, the sorrel sidestepping nervously, kicking the dry leaves, throwing its head. There were other sounds in the leaves and suddenly a man's voice. Throw up your hands! And almost with the words, Mitchell was dragged from the saddle. Men were all around him in the darkness, two holding his arms, and as he tried to rise, a fist came from nowhere, stinging hard against his face. A rifle barrel jabbed into his back, and he was taken through the trees, a man holding each arm. There were more men, 
at the clearing, and the nearest one stepped aside as Mitchell was brought in. One man was building the fire. Another was climbing the wagon wheel, now looking inside. The rest stood in a semicircle around Hyatt and the woman. The man holding Mitchell's left arm shouted, Dyke, we got the other one. Mitchell saw one of the men turn and nod his head, then beckoned them to come closer. He stood relaxed, a tall man, wearing a stiff-brimmed hat low and straight over his eyes and a tawny, tip-twisted mustache that in the firelight blended with the weathered cut of his features. His coat was open, a dark coat, and then Mitchell saw it. The deputy star against the dark cloth and everything was suddenly perfectly clear. Hyatt was saying, What are you doing? We're camped here and you barge in, shooting. A man said, You scrambled for that gun quick enough. How'd I know who you were? You know now, the man laughed. Mitchell looked from this man to the others. There were perhaps a dozen in the group, but only Dyke and two or three more wore deputy stars. Listen, Hyatt's voice calmed. I think you could have announced yourselves, that's all. You're looking for somebody and you want to ask some questions. That it? Dyke shook his head. I don't have any questions. Hyatt's eyes shifted along the line of men. We're on our way down to Tucson. I'm going in business with a man down there. Dyke said nothing. His eyes were on Hyatt, studying him. In the freight business, Hyatt said. This man's already got contracts. Are you through? Dyke said then. Hyatt frowned. What do you mean? I'll tell a story now, Dyke said. Starts the day before yesterday when the Hatch and Hodges was held up an hour out of Mojave. One of the passengers, Mr. J.A. Hicks, was shot and killed when he raised an objection. Now, this Mr. Hicks was owner of the Mogollon Cattle Company, slash M, of which I'm foreman. Mr. Hicks, besides being boss, was my best friend which doesn't mean much to the story aside from it's the reason I was deputized to take out a posse. Hyatt said, I'm sorry to hear that, but I'm not finished, Dyke stated. You see, these hold-up men separated after the robbery. We spent a whole day scratching for sign, and finally we got on one we were pretty sure of. Last night, we caught up with a man named Cliff something. Now, at first, he said he didn't know anything about it. Dyke's eyes hadn't left Hyatt's. I hit this man twice. The second one broke his jaw. And after that, he wrote down what we wanted to know. How he was to meet his friends tonight and where. A woman and two men posing as travelers. A man named James Rady, another by the name of Hyatt Earl. Well, Hyatt said. His voice was controlled and it told nothing of what he might be thinking. Dyke brought a match out of his vest pocket and wedged it into the corner of his mouth, shaking his head as he did. Well, that's all there is to the story. Hyatt hesitated. Now what? Now, Mr. Earl? Dyke said mildly, his eyes lifting then. We're gonna hang you right on that cottonwood over there. 
What are you talking about hanging? You don't even know... Hyatt broke off. He looked at Dyke and at his men, and for a long moment he was silent, gaining control of himself. He said then, calmly, almost defiantly, You gotta take us to trial. That's what the law says. The matchstick moved under Dyke's full mustache. Mr. Earl, are you telling me what I have to do? That was it. The futility of arguing showed briefly on Hyatt's face. He asked, What about the woman? Dyke shook his head. This Cliff said she didn't want any part of it, but you forced her into it. We're not bothered about her. Just you and Rady there. He nodded directly at Mitchell. Mitchell frowned. Hurriedly, then, his eyes swept the clearing. Rady wasn't here. He called to Dyke. I'm not Rady. He's the one with the Remington. Was out by the road. Dyke studied him before answering. There wasn't anybody out there. Then he got away, but I sure as hell ain't Rady. Who are you supposed to be? Dave Mitchell. I just rode in a little while ago looking to camp. He saw Hyatt watching him, a grin softening the dark bearded face. Rady? Hyatt said. Are you drunk or something? Mitchell stared at him with disbelief. What's the matter with you? Tell them who I am. Hyatt shook his head. There's no use in that, Rady. Let's own up. Take our medicine like men. Mitchell's eyes went to Dyke. Listen, this man's crazy. I suspected it before. Now, I'm sure. If I was in your shoes, said Dyke, I might pull the same stunt. Mitchell paused. All right. His glance went to the woman. Ask her. She looked at Mitchell, then shook her head. He's not ready. His name is Mitchell. Dyke said, Uh-huh. And you're Mrs. Mitchell? I never saw him before this evening. Claire, Hyatt said sympathetically. There's no use. Rady's got to take his medicine just the same way I do. The woman's face was cold and showed no emotion. He had a fight with this man Mitchell and lost. That's why he wants to see him hang. Claire, Rady and I were just kidding. You thought we really meant it? Mitchell looked at Dyke again. You said that holdup was day before yesterday. I can prove I was at Whipple then. I was just discharged yesterday. What's your proof? Dyke asked. Ask anybody at Whipple. Ready? Hyatt said. Delaying it a few days ain't gonna help any. They'll still hang you. Let's get it over with. Mitchell's expression changed suddenly and his hand went to his chest. My discharge order... It's dated yesterday. Keep your hand out of that coat, Dyke snapped. He nodded to one of the men near Mitchell. Take a look. The man stepped in front of Mitchell. His hand went over the shirt, then to the inside coat pocket. Nothing, he said over his shoulder. Mitchell's hand came up. He felt the empty pocket and the part of his shirt that was torn. Listen. While we were fighting, my shirt was ripped. 
The paper fell out. That's what happened. Look around there, right where you're standing. Dyke continued to study Mitchell, but some of his men moved about, looking at the ground and scuffing the sand with their boots. A man said, I don't see nothing. And another said, not around here. Watching them, the tension building and becoming unbearable, Mitchell suddenly tore himself from the men holding him. They started after him and Dyke called, let him go. Mitchell came on, his eyes searching the ground, then dropped to his hands and knees, his fingers brushing the sand, smoothing it, and carefully he covered the area where the fight had taken place. He came up, slowly, and sat back on his heels. It's not here, he said wearily. Then, wait, when I was pulled off my horse, he came to his feet quickly. Dyke asked, you ever on the stage? I'm telling you the truth, Mitchell screamed. Can't you see that? I see a man fighting awful hard, Dyke replied. For a life he don't deserve. What do you expect me to do? Mitchell paused then. He breathed in and out and said more calmly, I swear to Almighty God I had nothing to do with that holdup. That's what this cliff said, Dyke answered, before I broke his jaw. Rady, Hyatt spoke up. You don't want that to happen to you, do you? Mitchell ignored him. Still looking at Dyke, he said, Isn't there a doubt in your mind? Dyke didn't answer, and in the silence, their eyes held. Then, behind Mitchell, a man said, Let's have some coffee first. Dyke's eyes lifted. He nodded and walked toward the fire, finished with Mitchell. Hyatt and the woman were moved over by the wagon. Then Mitchell was brought over. They tied Hyatt's and Mitchell's hands behind their backs and made them sit down, the woman between them. There was nothing to be said. In silence, they watched Dyke's men build another fire close to the cottonwood tree they would use. Two men entered the clearing, carrying riatas, uncoiling them as they crossed to the tree. Mitchell saw his sorrel and a bay brought in and the saddles were taken off both horses. Now what do you do? He thought. Tell him. I did tell him. He's hard-shelled and mean because Hyatt killed his friend and that's all he can think about. But he's calm about it, isn't he? Judge and jury wrapped into one hard-bitten, weathered face. His mind is the law, and he can be as calm as he pleases, knowing his way is the only way. Twelve years of campaigning, and you're going to die under another man's name. Nobody knowing. No, two people knowing who you are. The woman Claire and Hyatt. Two feet away, and you can't even touch him. Get up quick and butt his face in with your head. No. Come on. Think straight now. Now isn't a time to think about revenge. Forget about him. You're going to die, and that's all there is to it. He said it in his mind, feeling each word. 
I'm going to die. More slowly then. I am going to die. All right. Now you know it. You always knew it, but now you know it. Come on. Think straight. I am thinking straight. Go to hell with that thinking straight business. There's no straight way to think when you're going to die. What did you think about the other time? The first and only and supposedly last other time. Nervous and not liking it, not believing that it was happening to him, but holding himself together nevertheless and thinking over and over again that it was a shame to die alone. Alone, because the Coyotero tracker didn't count. You couldn't talk about last things in sign language. Dos Fuegos had taken out a buckskin pouch in which he carried his hodentin, the sacred pollen made from tule that would ward off evil, and with that he had readied himself. Corporal Mitchell, then. Corporal Mitchell and a Coyotero tracker named Dos Fuegos, the two of them riding point and cut off from the others, and their mounts shot from under them. Then, holding flat to the ground, lying behind the mound and looking across to the rock-scrambled, sand-glaring, dead-silent slope where the membres were, lying unmoving, wondering if the patrol would find them. The membres came, a few at a time, running, dodging, firing carbines, and they drove them back to cover. The second rush came before they had time to reload, but so did D Company brought by the firing, and that was that. Sergeant Mitchell, the next month, and less talkative. But, Mitchell thought, he really didn't learn anything that time. Not that you could apply to this one, only that dying is important to you, and if you can't do it in bed sometime far in the future, then have it happen during a heroic act with a great number of people watching. Uh, don't talk foolish. You're going to die. That's so. Do it as well as you can. He thought of his father and mother, and for a few minutes, he prayed. The woman touched his arm, and he looked up. I'm sorry. I wish there was something I could do. I wish there was, too, Mitchell answered. I wonder if you'd do me a favor. What is it? Sometime, look up my father in Banderas, R.F. Mitchell, and let him know what happened. She nodded slowly. All right. Hyatt leaned forward. Rady, your folks don't live in Banderas. You've got a real sense of humor, Mitchell said mildly. Momentarily, Hyatt frowned. You've calmed down some. Mitchell didn't reply. He saw Dyke standing by the big cottonwood tree, motion to the men guarding them. And now they were pulled to their feet. Hyatt turned to the woman. Claire, we say goodbye now. Hi, tell them who he is. Hyatt grinned. Honey, I did. I think I'm glad they're hanging you. She said. Hyatt shrugged. One of the posse men took Mitchell's arm. He looked at the woman and their eyes held 
lingeringly. Come on, he thought. You couldn't say it in minutes, so don't say it at all. He turned and followed Hyatt across the clearing, and he knew that the woman was watching him. Get him up, Dyke ordered. They were lifted onto the horses, and a mounted man rode between them and adjusted the riata loops over their heads. Dyke looked up at them. Mr. Rady seems to have lost his fight. Hyatt grinned. He's turned honest. Mitchell looked at him. You proved your point. Now you're wearing it out. Hyatt's eyes narrowed. For a moment, he was silent, and he watched Mitchell curiously. You ever see a hanging? He asked then. Mitchell shook his head. No. If your neck don't bust, you strangle a while. His eyes stayed on Mitchell. You scared? Mitchell shrugged. Probably the same as you are. A bewildered look crossed Hyatt's face. Apparently, he had expected Mitchell to panic now, to lose control of himself, pleading for his life. But he was at ease, and he sat the sorrel without moving. He leaned closer so that only Mitchell could hear him say, Rady's ten miles away by now, but in another minute, he'll be legally, officially dead. I'd say I was doing him some favor, Mitchell answered. Hyatt hesitated, and the cloud of uncertainty clouded his face again. He wanted to whisper, but his voice rasped. You're gonna hang! You understand that? Hang! Mitchell nodded. The same as you are. Hyatt's teeth clenched. He was about to say more, but he stopped. Mitchell looked down at Dyke. He's going to foam at the mouth in a minute. Dyke shook his head. <laughs> he don't have that long. But now, Hyatt was looking at Mitchell calmly, without bewilderment, and without the brooding anger that had been a knife edge inside of him since the fight. That had started to die as they sat by the wagon. He had tried to bring it back by taunting Mitchell, but it was no use. His anger was dead and even the memory of it seemed senseless and unimportant. Mitchell was a man. Give him credit for it. That's how it happened. That's what caused Hyatt to say unexpectedly, Reach into the side of my boot. The right one. Dyke looked at him. What for? Just do it. Hyatt's eyes returned to Mitchell. You either got more guts than any man I ever saw, or else you're the dumbest. Dyke's two fingers came out of the boot, lifting the folded sheet of paper. He unfolded it, and his eyes went over it. Slowly. The two granite-faced men at the very gates of a hot and waiting hell stared stonily down at the executioner. Dyke read it completely. The formal phrasing of the discharge order, the written in ink portion that described the soldier, and the scrawled, illegible signature at the bottom. He looked at the date again. Then, and only then, did he look at Mitchell. Their eyes met briefly before Dyke turned away. He said to the man near him, 
take him down and untie him, and started toward the edge of the trees, walking with his head down. He stopped then and turned. Hyatt Earl, too. We're taking him to Mojave. When his hands were cut loose, Mitchell walked over to Dyke. Can I have my order now? Dyke handed it to him. Listen, if I tried to tell you, I'm sorry. Mitchell turned away. Don't listen to that, he thought. You might hit him. Don't even think of Hyatt. He looked over at the woman and saw her watching him, then stopped. He'd have plenty of time to talk to her, and, he thought, feeling the relief but still holding himself calm. You've carried it this far. Hang on one more minute. He turned back to Dyke and said, Don't take it so hard. We all make mistakes. I grew up in the golden age of TV westerns. Um, Wagon Train, Gunsmoke, Have Gun Will Travel, um, Wanted Dead or Alive. And I, I, I loved them. I absolutely love them. I mean, to this day on AMC, every Saturday morning they run The Rifleman, and I've seen every episode at least twice, three times. I, I, I love it when Mark asks Pa if he wants a glass of water after he's gotten his ass kicked. And so the prospect of being able to do a Western, and, you know, I, I love this story because it's Elmore Leonard, you know? You expect something hard-boiled, you know, you expect something gritty, but this Western has such a, um, it's that, that quintessential, you know, you're out there and, and it's the code of the West, you know, and a man's word is a man's word, and... And, and what does that mean, a man's word? And, and I love the interjection of the feminine in this Western story. Not a lot of Western stories have women in them, you know? Um, women get a short shrift in Westerns. And, and in this one, there, there's, there's a female voice that plays very prominently in the narrative. So it's nothing more complicated than that. I, I'm, a, I'm a Western junkie, and... Uh, and, and this is a pretty good Western. The, the idea at the, at the end of the story, and, and this is an aspect of the story that, that, really, that really hits me, the idea of fear and being resigned to one's fate. And Hyatt was a real piece of work. He was an asshole. And he was trying to use that fear to torture Mitchell. And Mitchell's moral character just wouldn't allow him to go there. He had resigned himself to his fate, and he had made peace with it. And Hyatt couldn't deal with that. He didn't expect it. And in that unexpected turn of events, Hyatt did the unexpected, you know. He gave up his papers, 
the, the, the end of the story is this, for the most part, this internal dialogue that Mitchell has with himself, right? And, and, and you really get inside his head. You're in there right along with him as he sort of talks to himself while he's going through this experience. And, and we're right there along with him. It's a, it's a pretty effective literary device, for reeling, helping the audience identify with the protagonist. Have you ever been in a place of great fear where you had to talk to my talk to myself? Yeah, or or come up with some sort of resolve. I was um, <laughs> some friends of mine. Uh, this is years ago. We all decided we wanted to go skydiving. We wanted to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Why? I I do not know. Um, we were. We were into challenging ourselves at the time. And um, I was all excited. And we drive out to Paris Valley early, early, early in the morning. We go through this course. And uh, then it comes time to get in the airplane. And I'm scared. I mean, it really begins to hit me. I'm going to jump out of a perfectly good airplane, and I have no idea what that is going to feel like. As it happened, um, as part of our group was a woman I was dating at the time who is now my wife. And I was the last person to leave the plane. And I thought, I can't possibly let this plane land with me on it because she went out and then it was just me and, and my guy that I was, I was strapped to him and, and we were the last ones left. And I thought, if, if this plane lands and I'm still on it, I'm never going to get anywhere with this woman. However, I was as scared as I've ever been. And I really had to talk to myself during those 90 minutes and, and during those 90 seconds when I saw everybody else leaving the plane and then Steph was gone. And then I, I, had, to, I had to step out into the void. And I did. I mean, I stepped out and it was some of the most fun I've ever had in my life. But between watching her leave the plane and me stepping up, I had a conversation with me. You can better believe it. I had a conversation with me. LeVar Burton Reads is produced by Julia Smith. Editing and sound design by Adam Dybert. And a big thank you to Matt Gorley. And my thanks to Kevin Bartelt for his help in producing this episode. I am so pleased and most grateful to have been able to share Elmore Leonard's story today. He was an amazing storyteller, and you can find today's story in the complete Western stories of Elmore Leonard from William Morrow. It's available on Audible with the narrations from Henry Rollins, William Atherton, and more. Check it out now on Audible. And in conjunction with today's episode... We are partnering with Elmore Leonard's publisher, William Morrow, to give you, yes, you, a chance to win one of six signed first edition copies of Elmore Leonard's classic crime novel, Raylan, which features one of his favorite characters, the federal marshal, Raylan Givens. Visit LeVarBurtonPodcast.com for a link to enter and for the sweepstakes rules. And please, if you love the show, and want to help other people find it, give us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. And while you're there, leave us your suggestion of what you want to hear me read. I love 
reading your reviews, and I love hearing what it is you want to hear in future casts. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Radelette. I'm LeVar Burton. You can find me on Twitter at, at LeVar Burton and LeVar.Burton on Instagram. And if you have kids and want to expose them to terrific literature, check out Skybrary. You can find Skybrary, my digital library of books and videos, on the App Store, Android, Kindle, and at LeVarBurtonKids.com. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Hi, everybody. Chris Gethard here from Beautiful Anonymous. Wanted to let you know about uh, an episode of my show. It's pretty unusual because as a co-host, co-host is uh, Katie Couric, which you may not expect because I, I tend to do really dumb things. Well, I have like a weird emotional attachment to Chris just because I've watched, you know, people eat burritos off of his belly. Now, Katie doesn't oh know God. what that refers to and you're making me look real crazy. <laughs> now you're putting the screws to me. I'm oh, sorry, Chris. Once I did an episode it's... of my TV show where they built a burrito on my belly and ate it. It was called the Belly Burrito. And I'm really hungry, so right now that sounds incredibly <laughs> that, appealing to me. Well, it'll make you not hungry. <laughs> yeah. so, thanks for throwing me under the bus on that one, Amelia. <laughs> Making me look bad for like Katie Kirk. <laughs> thanks so much for putting up with me, being in your feed right now. Maybe you check out the episode, and maybe you dig it. Maybe you dig it so much you subscribe to Beautiful Anonymous on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen. All right, thank you so much. I'll stop bugging you. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 